We continue our sermon series on spiritual resolutions. Our guide is Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Paul writes to them as a mentor and a friend with advice on how to find joy in all of life's varied circumstances. The letter meant so much to the people at Philippi that they saved it, they passed it around, and they passed it on to us. Here then, Paul's words from chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work on your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you to both will and work for God's good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like the stars in the world, holding forth the word of life, so that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and the service of your faith, I rejoice, and I rejoice together with all of you, and in the same way you also should rejoice and rejoice together with me. May God bless this reading to our understanding. One of my absolute favorite memories of childhood was stargazing. Oh, it wasn't intentional. It just happened. I remember many evenings walking on a dirt road in the piney woods of East Texas about 10 o'clock at night. We had just finished the evening campfire with the marshmallows and the singing and the stories and the prayers. And now, in total darkness, we're walking on that dirt road back to our cabin, and I look up, and I'm absolutely mesmerized by the stars in the sky. Pretty unique sight for a city girl. So many stars, so much light shining in the utter darkness, miles and miles and miles away, and yet it seemed like it just enveloped the soul and gave me breathtaking joy. I loved it. Who wouldn't want to shine like the stars? Such a gorgeous image from Scripture. It echoes what Jesus says, let your light so shine. Paul's letter, the one that he writes to his friends in Philippi, is the most joyful of all the letters in the Christian scriptures. Twelve times, in four brief chapters, Paul uses the word joy or rejoice. Paul highlights the idea that God desires that the Christian life be for us a life of joy. Too often, maybe you've noticed this, Folks seem to think that Christianity is about limiting life's fun. Not so in Paul's imagination. Rejoice always, he writes. Make my joy complete. Shine like the stars. But what is this joy? Clearly, it's not about pleasure and mere happiness. Paul himself writes this letter from prison where there is no way he can possibly be happy 
eating that terrible prison food and sleeping in the horrid conditions and wondering if he might be convicted of the capital offense he has been charged with because of his preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul knows that the people that he writes to in Philippi, his friends, they also are not living lives of ease. Listen again to the part where he tells them to shine like the stars. Do all things without murmuring and arguing so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like the stars. Paul invites them to make as one of their spiritual resolutions to shine like the stars in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Doesn't that line, crooked and perverse generation, make you think that Paul time-traveled to 2023? The joy that Paul wants us to seek can seem terribly elusive in our own day. In just a few weeks, we will enter year four of COVID, which continues to interrupt our lives. Businesses still struggle to find enough employees just to keep the doors of the business open. Ecological crises alarm us and leave us wondering if we will ever figure out a way to live in harmony with God's good creation. And while progress seems to have been made on the I have a dream speech that Martin Luther King gave us, we as a nation have still not reached what he described as the mountaintop. The polarization of our nation has reached the nation's capital and threatened the dignity of Congress. And personally, each one of us knows someone who is living with mental illness or cancer. How is it that we can shine like the stars? I was a bit frustrated with the Apostle Paul when I began working on this sermon because though I agree with Paul that joy is definitely part of the Christian life, maybe even joy is the essence of the Christian life, I just am not sure we can command joy. I don't even know if we can directly seek joy. Can that really be a resolution? We've all experienced moments of joy, the birth of a child, the elation of falling in love, the mountaintop moment in nature when we are just transcended into the sacredness, even in the midst of ordinary life. So many days, though, in our regular life, joy seems absent. Sometimes we're just getting through the day. The Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu teamed up as two world spiritual leaders to write a book about joy. They say that joy is not easy, it's not superficial, it's not even a temporary feeling, it is not dependent on our external circumstances. Rather, joy is so much bigger than happiness. It's what they describe as a shining contentment or a spiritual radiance born from a deep sense of well-being. How do we pursue that? How do we pursue that kind of joy? There doesn't seem to be an app for this. 
In one of his books, the poet David White says that joy sometimes comes to us through practice. Sometimes joy is hard-won achievement, he says. And then thinking about the poet's idea that the joy comes through practice, I turned back to Paul and read again his section on how we might shine like the stars. And I see that Paul concurs with the poet. Paul says that what we need to do in order to pursue joy is to hold fast to God. Joy comes, he says, because we cultivate it, because we practice it. My colleague and friend Tom R. has written a book called Joy, Even on Our Worst Days. You could get a copy of it in the well. It's a good book. Near the end of the book, he tells a story about his father. His father went out to the carport one day, sat down in the car, and wept. He went out there to weep so that his children would not see him. At that time, Dad was the father of three. Tom was the oldest, a toddler. The second child was 18 months old, another boy, this one born with special needs and still unable to swallow, and so still in the hospital receiving inpatient treatment. And then there was a newborn, just about two months old, a little girl. And under the weight of all of this, mom had broken down with postpartum depression and been hospitalized. So dad was home with a toddler and a newborn and a child in the hospital and a wife in the hospital when the mail came. And in the mail was a medical bill that exceeded his annual salary. It had to have been one of dad's worst days. And so he went out to the carport, he shut the car door, and he sat there and he wept. And then he prayed. Not the beautiful kind of prayer that Bryce prayed for us a moment ago with beautiful words, but a raw prayer, one in which he yelled at God, he vented with God, he shared his deep pain and anguish, and then Dad made a life-changing decision. He decided he would get a hold of his finances so that his finances wouldn't get a hold of him. He would chart a new course for his life. Instead of just giving money to the church, which he always had, he would adopt that old-fashioned spiritual practice of tithing, of giving 10% of his income to his congregation. He would hold fast to God through this practice of faith. And after that... Life began to slowly improve. Oh, not because God sent a wad of cash in the mail the next day. God does not work like that. God is not a God of magic. But because in time, his dad learned a new spiritual practice, a way to live out his deeply held values and principles, to express his devotion to the creator of all life. And in time, he was able to pay off that exorbitant medical bill, and his wife's health did improve, and his son did learn to swallow. But what about us? How do we hold fast to God? What practices make you more keenly aware of God's presence at work within you? Paul writes, 
Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you to both will and work for God's good pleasure. We all have our own unique ways of cultivating a life of joy because each one of us holds fast to God with unique practices. For some, it is quiet prayer every morning, first thing you do when you get up. For others, it is immersing ourselves in community service. But all of us, we all live in a crooked and perverse generation, as Paul says. And so we all have to make choices every day as to whether or not we will join the society that is crooked and perverse or whether we will hold fast to God and practice the faith that embraces us that empowers us, that sets us on the path to joy? Will we be the ones who reach out to a neighbor with compassion, who worship regularly, who build spiritual friendships, who participate in communal life? Each of us, I bet we already knew before we came into church this morning, what would make us more able to shine like the stars? Annie Dillard writes, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. What would then help each of us cultivate joy? I wish I could give you a roadmap. I wish I could tell you exactly what to do step by step in order to shine like the stars. But what I know for sure is that all of us get distracted from our calling to hold fast to God. We lose focus, we forget to engage in the spiritual practices, and even when we work for it, we sometimes grow weary of wondering when it is that God's joy will surprise us with abundant life. For example, just this week, I got a text from my longest term friend. I didn't say my oldest friend, she's younger than me by two months. We became best friends in the fourth grade, and I don't know anyone on the planet who embodies more joy than she does. There's always a buoyancy in her voice, always a lilt of humor when you're in her presence, always a twinkle of joy in her eye, but she texted with bad news. She was just diagnosed with a serious life-threatening illness, and I sat there staring at the phone trying to make sense of the words, stunned by it all. Joy does not insulate us from life's dramatically difficult events, but joy does carry us through. So we keep holding fast to God. And sometimes, when we aren't even expecting it, we realize that this Holy One of Heaven, this Creator of all life, this One we name God, is indeed at work within our own lives, God is right there, right with us, making us shine in ways that none of us even imagined was humanly possible. For example, this woman named Marie Tompkins. Some of you may have known her. She had silvery white hair, petite frame, and though she was feisty and strong-willed. She was also shy and reserved. When she and her husband joined our church, 
They always came to the nine o'clock service. They always came early and stood out there at the coffee bar visiting with whoever had gathered for worship. And then after church, they would go up to the Tri-C Sunday School class. In their spare time, they volunteered at St. Luke's Hospital where they were a huge encouragement to the patients, to the families of the patients, to the hospital staff. After her husband died, Marie was a bit befuddled, but she decided she would carry on with her life. She would spend time with her three adult daughters. She would savor the joy of being in the presence of her many grandchildren. She was a voracious reader, and she pondered deeply the doctrines of the Christian faith, often raising questions about, what does this really mean, and is it really true? Eventually, Marie's hearing failed, and she was no longer able to safely drive her car, and so she stopped coming to worship unless a friend picked her up. I saw her several times over this last year, and each time Marie reminded me that she was 98 years old, but people kept expecting her to do things she couldn't do because they all thought she only looked about 80, which was true. But she was ready. She was ready to depart from this earth. Although she loved her people and she loved life, her body was failing. And then in December, Marie fell and she broke her hip. Her daughter rushed to the emergency room. There, a doctor said that Marie had been stabilized and a surgeon had been called, was on the way to the hospital and would set up the OR so that her hip fracture could be repaired. Her daughter picked up the phone and called Marie's regular physician. What if mom doesn't have the surgery, then what? Well, the doctor said, that's Marie's choice. It's a choice she can make. But if she chooses not to have the surgery, her body will quickly fail, and she will be moved to hospice, and she will soon pass away. Her daughter went back into the emergency room, and she explained the situation to her mom. Marie's face lit up. She said, you mean I don't have to have surgery? I could just let nature take its course? Yes, Mom, you have that choice. Marie turned. She looked at her daughter. She let out a huge sigh of relief, and she said, I do not want to have surgery. And then with a twinkle in her eye, she looked at her daughter, and she said, I have an idea. Let's pop a bottle of champagne and have a toast. My friend Marie held fast to her faith her whole life long. And on the day that many would have said was the worst day ever, she knew the gift of God's shining joy. <laughs>